All right, we're going to keep on worshiping uh, in the form of opening God's Word. Um, we're back in a sermon series we've been calling Extraordinary. Ordinary people, extraordinary purpose. And each week we've been looking at a different person in the Bible who, though quite ordinary, God uses them in an extraordinary way. So if you've been here, you remember week one, two weeks ago, we looked at this foreign widow named Ruth, whom God uses in a remarkable way that through her actually brings about the line of David and eventually Jesus. And then last week we looked at this fearful, self-doubting farmer named Gideon, whom God uses to bring about a deliverance from the oppression of the Midianites. It's Every time it's evidence that it's really about God. It's not about the person. But today, today, go ahead, Jeff, today, today, put your hands together and allow me to introduce a determined, brave heroine of Israel. Her name is listed in the Hebrews 11 as one of the great examples of faith. Her lineage includes names like David and our Lord Jesus from Jericho. The once pagan prostitutes, Rahab. Yeah. That's it. That's it. All right. That's Jeff. Jeff's the best. Thank you. All right. Now, that was ridiculous. Sure. But did you feel that? Right? The hype. Right? What a woman. What a faith. But then did you start to feel that clapping get a little awkward at one point? The, this mighty woman of faith, a once what? Yeah, pagan prostitute. Okay, so, okay, so this, this, this woman of noble character was once a, yeah, heathen harlot. Idol-worshiping woman of the night, right? Call it whatever you will. Yep, Rahab is who we're talking about today. But I just want you to let that sink in for a second, all right? Let that sink in. And let it sink in the fact that the Bible tells her story and it's not bashful about it. But actually, the, God wants us to hear her story because there's actually something he wants us to learn from her. From her. So what we learn from, say, Ruth's story is that we have an extraordinary redeemer in our God. What we learn from Gideon's story is that we have an extraordinary warrior. And that even when we feel afraid, who goes before us. And this week, what? But like, when we stop and think about an a, a idol-worshiping, Woman of the night, you telling me that there's something we're to learn from her? Oh, yeah. What is it? What is it the Bible wants us to see? Well, we find her story in this Old Testament book called Joshua. Joshua. And the beginning of Joshua is, is right at this pivotal point in Israel's history where their faithful leader Moses has just died. And his successor, Joshua, has now tasked with the role of leading the Israelites over the Jordan River and into the land that God had promised to them. And so Joshua chapter 1, we, we, meet, we, the, we uh, see Joshua installed. Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites cross the Jordan and into the promised land. You see a little, I'm not sure how well you can see that map, but that arrow points from where they are to where they're going. I'll show more, more of that in a second. But what's interesting is the story doesn't just start with installing Joshua and straight into the land, but it pauses in chapter 2 so that we see the story of this woman Rahab. And the question is, why? The Bible is very intentional in why it tells her story, not just because it's a good story, but because it's a God story. And there's something that he wants us to see about him 
through her. Yes, even her. So, what I hope we see today, and where I want to lead us, is that when we look at the story of Rahab, one, we're going to see a surprise, and then a challenge, and then a promise. A surprise, a challenge, and a promise. And if you want to open there with me, we're going to read her whole story in Joshua chapter 2. It's on page 170, I believe, in the blue Bibles in front of you, if you want to turn there and look at it with me, uh, because it's a lot to cover. Sometimes it can help to actually have it in front of you. Or if you need to pull out your phone and read it there, you can do that as well. But, as I said, God has promised to give the promised land to the Israelites. But trouble is, there are people already living there. God said that they're an idol-worshiping, just vile group of people called the Canaanites. And because of their evil, God is bringing judgment upon them. But before Joshua just marches right in... We read in chapter 2 that he's going to send two spies into the land to scope it out. And Jericho is that first city that they would encounter after crossing over the Jordan. But for them, what's the surprise? What's the challenge? And then what's the promise? You guys ready? Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. All right. Then Joshua, son of Nun secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. But before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has, been, has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope to the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, Go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and your mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. 
If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And when they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days, until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. And then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. So, Lord, as we read this story, give us understanding, but transform our hearts and our minds in the process. God, we don't want to just read a good story. We want to be transformed. We want to learn to trust you more. So have your way in us, God, and may we learn to trust and take you at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, that was a lot, right? That that was, was a lot there. But just to give us a quick recap of where we've been. So before Joshua leads Israel across the Jordan River into the land, he needs to get a lay of the land. So he sends two spies. Now I call them spies because it's clear they've never done this before. I mean, normally, like I don't know much. I've never been a spy, but I've watched some spy movies in my life. And it seems to be that the goal of a spy is not to be found out. Right? Not to draw attention to yourself, but it takes these guys a total of about five minutes before they just waltz right into Jericho, go right into Rahab, and the guy's like, yep, seen you. So, like, I don't know how qualified they are. Clearly, they haven't seen any spy movies before, but that's really not the surprise. The surprise is not the fact that the spies are found out. The surprise is how they're received. The surprise is Rahab's faith. And what we learn from the story is that even as Israel is coming to this land and there is a woman who we see is a pagan prostitute, what we learn from the story, at least first, is we cannot discern whose hearts are open to God simply by what we see on the outside. So if we go back to that map, remember, the Israelites are east of the Jordan River. They're coming across One of the first cities they encounter is Jericho. And word had already gotten out across Jericho and that whole region that Israel was coming for their land next. So Jericho was on high alert. And because of the not-so-secret agents, like I said, it took not much time at all before the king of Jericho got word that they were with Rahab. So he sent a messenger straight to her, which is probably more like an inn and less like a house, and told her to bring them out. And even though Rahab is from Jericho, and these spies are enemies of Jericho, she hides them? Why? And then I imagine this scene when the messenger comes to her door. I imagine it kind of, she lies and then she plays dumb. And I can imagine it kind of like this. She said, why, yes, men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, they time to close the city gate, and they left. I don't know which way they went, but I'm sure a couple strong men like you can catch up to them. Yeah. Do you see that? I see that. But (laughs) maybe my imagination is going too much. But the real question is, why would 
a woman like Rahab help these men out? Well, we don't really know until she goes up to the men where they're hiding and tells them. I know, she says, that the Lord has given you this land. She says, I've heard the story of the way God delivered you out of Egypt and God's victory over the kings. And she's saying, and I believe. She even professes to them. She says, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. That in this moment, something had happened to her internally. She had believed, and that's why she was helping them. She was helping them as a sign that her allegiance, though once for Jericho, now her allegiance has been given to the one true God because she heard the story of God and she believed. And just seeing her from the beginning, like this, she's evidence. Again, we cannot discern whose hearts are open or could be open to God just from the outside. Now, I don't know if Rahab had a choice in her culture to be a prostitute or not. In Canaanite society, good chance she didn't have a choice. It's something she, but she had a choice now. And when she heard the story of God, her heart moved to believe. And she made a choice from there. And what this shows us is we won't know who will or who won't believe until someone actually hears the story of Jesus. Did you guys hear that? We can't know, simply from the outside, who will or who won't believe unless they first hear the message of Jesus. Many times, and I'm pointing out myself first, I have not shared or hesitated to share Jesus with somebody simply because I assume they don't want anything to do with God. What was beautiful is, you know, Hannah earlier shared about Serve Day and how open the people were to wanting us to partner with them and do things. And I was like, I'm surprised. Why was I surprised? Because I just have an assumption that if somebody is not active in faith, then, well, they just don't want anything to do with it. But why? Sometimes that's based on our experience. Sometimes it's just fear. And so I hear somebody's mouth like a sailor or their wild lifestyle or or they look angry all the time or they come from a certain place and I judge them that, well, they wouldn't be open to Jesus. And because of that, I just don't share. But we don't know who would be until we do. Now, I... There was a woman that I went um, to church with in high school. When in high school, my, my faith was real young. I believed in Jesus, was still trying to figure a lot of things out. And there was a woman um, who for a while was a youth leader even, and she was one of the, the kindest people I ever met. Always extremely loving, uh, loved Jesus with all that she was. And then one day she told me her story. She said, you know, prior to Jesus, she said, I was a practicing witch. She said, people paid me to put curses on other people. She said, I was angry all the time. Now, if you, hear, if you meet somebody like that, I think it, we would probably assume, I don't think they want to hear about Jesus. But when she did, and she heard the story of what God had done, that he had forgiven her sin by dying on a cross, rising again for her, she gave her life to Jesus, and it was radically transformed. 
And I could point to so many other, that's her story, but I could point to so many other stories in this room of people, you know where you came from. You know what God brought you out of. You know where you are now. You are a walking testimony of the fact that God, we can't judge based on the outside whether someone would be open to Christ or not, can we? Because we were once lost, but now found, hopeless, now redeemed, walking toward death, but now alive. So instead of assuming someone is closed, and look for who's open. Look for who's open. I think sometimes as a church, or just as Christians in general in our society, we don't mean to. But we can take on this, like, us, Christians versus them mentality. And that gives us the assumption right away that, well, they don't want to hear it. But what if they do? What if they do? The spies could have easily assumed that Rahab did not want anything to do with God. But surprise! So when we think about our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, and our friends, man, who do you know that's far from God? And is there anybody that you just assumed doesn't want to hear? But maybe they do. And even if their language and their lifestyle is rough, my encouragement is to try to see through that to their heart. To see if God, see if they have a hunger for truth. To see if God is doing a work within them. We don't know until we actually try. And our inclination, our first reaction may want to be to try to fix somebody's external behavior right away. But God's first interest is somebody's heart. Since Proverbs 4 talks about all, that all of life flows from the heart. And so my prayer for us is that God would give us his eyes his love, his words, that we might be able to speak to people's heart. Because as God transforms a heart, then he begins to change a life, doesn't he? Even if it's a bit messy in the process, that's, God is the one doing the work. So who might be open? It might surprise you. And that was certainly a surprise for the spies who met Rahab. But next is the challenge of Rahab. That while you know, we can't help but be surprised that a pagan prostitute believes in God, in the end, her faith actually challenges our own. Certainly the spies. What do I mean? Well, she exemplifies for us that faith isn't just what we believe to be true. Faith is about who we trust with our lives. So if you look at her story, what makes Rahab different from the rest of the people in Jericho? It's not that she believes and they don't. Everybody in the city believed what God had done before, which is why she says they were melting in fear about Israel's God. The difference is that only Rahab surrendered her allegiance to God, to the Lord. She not only believed, as she said, the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below, but she was willing to give up her home, her city, her culture, and her gods. That her choice to hide and protect these spies was treason against Jericho, showing that her heart now belonged to a different God and his kingdom. Wait, Kirk, so Rahab's the example here, but uh, she lied like, 
Are you telling us that, that, that lying is okay? I mean, she's the example we're supposed to follow, and she, she does lie. Like, how do you deal with that? Well, if we zoom out from this story for a second, we know the Bible doesn't condone lying, right? I mean, Ten Commandments, the, the last of the Ten Commandments is do not lie, right? Do not bear false witness. And so while she does lie to protect the spies, and we do not hold up lying as the example to follow, though we shouldn't judge her too quickly. Because in the messiness of it all, for her, she lies because she's trying to help these two men escape out a window and point them in a way to hide for three days. You see, sometimes when someone is new to faith, like, it, do, it doesn't always look clean, does it? It may be a bit messy along the way, but the thing to pay attention to is the trajectory of her heart, that she is exemplifying that her allegiance is now to the Lord. And that's the most important thing here is what she's willing to do because of her faith. So again, she shows that faith isn't just what we say we believe. It's who or what we trust with our lives. She had to choose. Would she follow the gods of Jericho or the God of Israel? Well, as Christians today we certainly have to make some choices too. As Christians in a secular society, though, our choice is a little bit different. And that if we had to say what our main choice is most days, it's going to be between the God of self or the way of Jesus. Because the dominant message in our culture today is not trust God, but trust yourself. Trust your own feelings, trust your own reasoning, trust your own gut, your own intuition to lead you in the best way. Our culture as a whole discourages putting your faith in any religion or any God or any institution wholeheartedly. It's okay if you believe, if you agree with certain theological ideas, but don't give it all away. That's radical. But our culture instead proclaims, discover your truth. Determine you, who, how you wish to identify, what you think is good, and don't judge others' decisions. So in summary, stacked up against all other loyalties, put faith in yourself. Do you think that's an accurate picture of the main message of our culture, our society? If not, watch, watch a few ads. <laughs> Tomorrow night when the Celtics are playing again. Watch a few ads of, of how that's going. Yeah. <laughs> but see that if we are followers of Jesus, there will come plenty of moments when we get to a crossroads where what we think is best and the way that Jesus is leading us are going to be in direct conflict with one another. The decision of which step we take is a decision of faith, either faith in Christ or faith in ourselves. Like Rahab, we're faced with a decision that I may believe in Jesus, but am I still trusting that I know what's best for my future, or do I trust that he does? Do I trust that I know what's best for my relationships, or that he does? Do I trust that I know what's best for my sexuality, or does he and as Rahab stood in the doorway with the king's messengers right here and the spies hidden up in her house, she could not choose both directions. And when we are standing at the crossroads between what we feel is good and what Jesus says is good, which way do we choose? That's a step of faith. And if you're struggling to trust Jesus in his way, then I would encourage you to go back and remember his story.
the gospel, the good news. Because oftentimes we trust ourselves because we believe that no one really cares about us like we do. Right? I should, I should decide what's in my best interest because I know my best interest more than anybody. But yet, the gospel of Jesus says there's a Savior named Jesus who loves you so much that he looked not to his own interest, but to yours when he gave up his life in your place. And at the cross, he gave up his life to pay the debt of our sin so that we might free. He laid himself down so, for us in our place. But just to show that, that he's not just a God of good intentions. We can look at the empty grave as evidence that no power can hold him either. Not only is he God of all love, but he's a God of all power. What he sets to do, he will do. And he did it all that we might have new life because he loves you with an everlasting love. So that's the challenge of Rahab. Will we trust our way? Will we trust God's way? Will we walk in Jesus' way above all others? We can trust him. So there was the surprise of Rahab. The challenge of Rahab. Remember I said there's a promise. What's that? For her who placed her faith in the, in the one true God. For us. What is God's promise to her and what is it to us? That no matter your past, God's promise is that all who trust in him will be saved. And as Rahab is helping the two spies escape, she begged them before they leaved to promise to show her and her family kindness. She needed to know that she'd be saved. And why was Rahab so intense here? Because she knew what was coming. That God was not only giving the land to Israel, but through Israel, he was bringing judgment upon Jericho and the Canaanites for all the evil that they had committed. And Rahab needed to be sure that she and her family would be saved. And the promise she receives from the spies, they say, Our lives for your lives. We will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, Scripture tells us that our God is not only a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And as a matter of fact, love and justice can't be separated. They are mutually intertwined together as his very character. And out of love, God promised that he will take all that has been broken by human sin and make it right. But to make it right, there must be a final judgment, justice for all sin. And Jesus talked about that day often. He talked about a day to come when he, like a son of man, will come in glory and all the nations will gather before him. And on that day, there will be an awesome and terrible separation when two groups, those who have given him their allegiance and those who are not, will be separated. That those who have refused to give Christ their allegiance will go the way of eternal judgment, but the righteous, meaning those right with God, to eternal life. And even just saying these words, I, I do so with a heavy heart and a heavy mouth. But understand, reason why Jesus tells us this. Because some people say, whoa, whoa, Jesus said that? Like, isn't Jesus loving and kind? And that's exactly why he tells us this. Because as 2 Peter says, the Lord doesn't want anybody to perish. 
but he wants everybody to come to repentance, meaning he wants us to turn our lives over to him so that he might be the king of us, king of our lives. He might be the center of the orbit of our lives. And you see, this is the whole reason why Jesus came. So that we don't have to face the weight of God's judgment, but that we can be saved on that day. We know the verse. Many of you know the verse. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But I love the verse afterwards. When he tells us, he says, For God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He did not reach out to you and call you to himself to condemn you, but to save you. And instead, he was condemned on a cross The spy said, our lives for your lives. Jesus says, my life for your life. So that all who truly believe, that is, give their allegiance of their heart to him, might be saved. But that's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't just stop there. Because when saving our lives would be enough, Christ also calls us his own. And that's the story of Rahab, too. If you flip From Joshua 2 to Joshua 6, you'll see that God does deliver the city of Jericho to Joshua and the Israelites in a way that only he can. And the promise to Rahab comes true. She and her family are saved. But what's cool is she's not just saved. She and her family are given a place among God's covenant family. And not only that, Matthew 1.5 says she's even listed In Jesus' family tree. Come on, everybody. Come on. A once pagan prostitute, now a member of God's family? Wow. But the amazing news is, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you are a part of God's family too. (laughs) Surely it would have been enough. If he saved us so that we could be servants in the house of God. But 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Everybody say, that is what I am. So take that in. Like Rahab, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've identified No matter if you're outsider, insider, none of that matters. If you place your faith in Jesus, you are a child of God. And the family of God is not where we gather so that we can flex our holiness to each other. Right? The family of God is more like a table around which we gather, all of us, the least, the last, the lost, the lonely, coming together because of the grace of God. And until Christ returns, there is always an open seat at that table. So perhaps you've been told your whole life you're a screw-up. Perhaps you have learned to define or identify yourself by your mistakes, living daily with reminders of poor past decisions. But Rahab reminds us that by faith in Christ, we begin again. We come to him with nothing, and we receive a new life and a new family because of his grace And that is the promise of God for all who trust in the finished work of Jesus. So take God at his word and you will know his salvation. And what's cool is at the end of the story, 
when our two bumbling spies get back across the Jordan River and back over to Joshua, what do they say? The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. So the book of Joshua began with God making a promise. But there's something that happens in chapter 2 that by the end of it now they are sure of that promise. Why? Because of what happens in between. The surprise of a pagan prostitute with a radical challenging faith who believes the promise of God. And because of her faith, doesn't matter where she came from, because of her faith, God uses her to grow the faith of everyone in Israel. Well, for me, I can think of dozens, if not hundreds of people who have done that very thing for me. Beginning with that woman back when I was beginning my faith in high school, coming, she once was a practicing witch, now a sold out follower of Jesus. Every time I think of her story, it's like, oh man, God is real. And God is active. And God is at work. Well, guess what? We all have a story in this room, don't we? Every single person in this room has a story. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was hopeless, but now I've been redeemed. My question is what's your story? It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be radical. My story is, man, I was once a kid who just hated myself. But then I found Jesus. And he showed me what it meant to be really loved. And then he gave me purpose. That's it. That's my story. It's my 15-second story. What's your 15-second story? I once was. How do you fill in that blank? But then I met Jesus. And now I'm fill in the blank. And once you start to know your story, guess what? That's a story worth sharing with somebody. And we might be surprised by who is open to hearing it. Even somebody like a Rahab. Even someone like me. Even someone like you when you first heard. So, we got the surprise. We know the promise of God. So now we step out with a challenge. Will we trust him? Will we share our story? Because take God at his word and you will know his salvation. And the promise is as we do, that while we hold tight to God's promise, we're not alone, but we're a member of him and his family. Amen, everybody. Let's stand up. Let's stand up if you're able. Lord, God, I, I pray even now that you bring to our minds faces, names even, coworkers, family members, neighbors, people that we bump paths with on a regular basis, somebody that, I don't know, maybe we've just assumed they wouldn't be open to hearing. But God, I pray that you place faces in our mind and show us, God, when and how we can be part of sharing our story with them. God, because we don't really know who's going to come and be open to you until we share. And it's not us we're making a big deal of. Like The pivotal changing point in our story is you, Jesus. It's about your extraordinary love, your extraordinary power to take someone like me, to take someone like all of us, as ordinary as you may be, and transform our lives. And while we're all very much in process, and while we all at times 
get hesitate or fall into fear or just get distracted and get, get, just want to kind of get wrapped up in whatever we're doing. God, I pray that you open our eyes, give us your heart of love, and show us how we can be a part of sharing the message of Jesus with those far from you. God, we can't wait to see what you're going to do in and through us. Will you start a movement among us, leading people to know you, so they may experience joy and transformation just as many, as many of us have. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing.